Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey friends, this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about pretty much anything tennis from recreational to pro, and uh, my name is Andre. And I am Vanch, and today we're welcoming a special guest uh, from a, YouTube, a famous YouTube channel, I guess, if you want to call it that, from the host of Monday Match Analysis. Please welcome Gil Gross. Gil, how are you today? Thanks for joining famous, us. Famous is a little strong, Vanch, but I do appreciate it, and it's great to be on with both of you. Um, you, you've been doing a great job on, on the pod. Thank Thanks. you so much, Gil. Um, just for, for reference, um, can you just immediately plug your, your uh, YouTube channel sure, to sure. us here? Yes. Yeah, so, so if you look up Gil Gross on YouTube, I will come up. Uh, if you look up Monday Match Analysis, I should come up as well. So uh, either one works. The channel's called Gil Gross. The show is called Monday Match Analysis. And I'm also available on uh, podcast platforms as well. Cool. So make sure you go and subscribe, follow, and go for his Twitter as well. All of those stuff immediately right now because uh, I know I lose most of you by the 20-minute mark. So that's <laughs> why you got it right now. So go do that. Um, so, I mean... So, we can yeah, start Vansh, off take by... it over. Okay, yeah. I mean, we can start off by, uh, you know, Gil, why don't you tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how uh, Monday Match Analysis um, started and how you kind of branched into tennis because you're a fan of uh, a lot of sports. Well, uh, Vanch, Sunday is probably my favorite day of the week because that's the final of, of most tournaments, unless it's the major, then you have your, your middle Sunday. So uh, I figured the best day to do a tennis podcast is probably Monday, so I could uh, break down the final in depth. And what I really like to do is talk about why player X won instead of player Y. I, I really like to get into the, the nitty-gritty, the details, the things that really only the diehard tennis fan would really care to hear or be interested in. But, you know, we all, we all know that that market is, is very much there. Uh, tennis is the sport that I, I played growing up. And, you know, I think I got really good coaching. And, you know, I was just a sponge, you know. So I took in all that information and I listened to everyone on TV who I thought was smart and insightful. I listened to them very carefully. So I've just really tried to take in as much information as I can um, about the sport of tennis. So while I'm a fan of other sports, I, I just have a lot more technical knowledge in tennis that I'm able to put to use on my show. Yeah, and we, we, we see that a lot, um, you know, recently with a new wave of, I guess, um, people on Twitter, but also people on YouTube that really look and highlight those technical aspects of the game and show that. You, and I think YouTube is a great platform to show those visuals um, like you do. So keep up the great work with that. Um, I guess what I want to uh, talk about next is um, how do you think, uh, how do you think like tennis is being uh, presented in, uh, by the press? Because we look at, you know, we 
listen to the post-match press conferences and we listen to the interviews on the court and you know we get uh, and we, we get the feeling that you know the press and reporters are really trying to sell the game and the players the way they see it but how do you think do you think there's something um missing from players that were not uh, from the press that were not really quite you know sure it's fun well, you'll rarely hear questions about tactics mm-hmm. and technique in in post-match press conferences, which is, you know, it could be one of two things. If I'm giving the journalists of the of the game the benefit of the doubt, and but and I think that there are so many great journalists out there. Uh, if I'm giving them all the benefit of the doubt, I'd say that players, you know, maybe they're not asking the question because players really don't want to talk about that stuff. They don't want to give away their tactics and their game plan and the technique that that they're trying to to work on. On the other side of things, uh, I think a good example would be, you know, how come no one asked Dominic Team why he was slicing every single backhand at the end of the fifth set uh, when he was playing Zverev in the U.S. Open final last Sunday? Now, these are certainly questions that that I'd like to hear the answer to. Uh, but these questions are are rarely asked, so it, it goes both ways. But I, honestly, if if I'm in if I'm in the press room, Vaughn, certainly I'm probably highlighting some of those things a little bit more than we than we generally hear. I guess I, I want to say a few things about that in in a sense too, because like you, you're saying as well, uh, you mentioned that your your big analysis, your big thing as well, is a uh, uh, talking to an audience of diehard tennis fans, which. I can assume, for example, that us three are, and a good portion of uh, tennis Twitter, for example, is. But like, there is a, a, it's tough to find a middle ground. I would say, for example, um, me and Vansh were discussing before a little bit of like how, and I've seen this discussion as well on Twitter on the tennis commentating, um, just on TV, ESPN, or whatever, and. Um, it's it's tough to not go too vague at times and just be like just talking about like oh yeah he must be feeling this or he must be feeling that or like look how far he ran like all of those comments that I just stated um, and somebody put it like very well as well on Twitter is like you could switch the sports and the commentary would be almost just as relevant and I found it was like kind of like comic in a in a sad way but at the same time it's like for me um, tactics wise. Um, I think journalists and, and press really just trying to like fill in and just trying to like make ends meet in a sense, especially right now, I would say for the pandemics, just they're trying to reach as many people as possible. And I'm not entirely sure if this is like the, the, the best strategy, I would say, but it feels like in a, in a, in a, in a place like the U S where um, already tennis isn't quite the most popular sport. Um, you lost a lot of the energy of the tennis boom that happened in the seventies and whatnot. And now it's just, it's kind of there. And not really any American tennis male players, mostly actually the female players are thriving. But um, yeah, it's it's lost to probably a lot of its appeal. So I, I don't I don't understand like uh, as well like how can we as tennis fans even like bring the tactics and like make that part interesting for people. But I, I feel like it, it actually uh, it's something that we should be looking more towards into. And and I. For example, if you look uh, how journalists they try to pick on um, even off court like antics and stuff like that, players are, are going off to and like just really trying to. There's a certain journalist that try to tries to keep asking questions. For example, um, on Azarenka about like how does she not want to talk uh, about the when when uh, Osaka um, 
Oh, well, do you remember when Thursday was canceled in Cincinnati? Yes. So, yeah. Uh, Azarenka did not want to talk about that right. issue. And there was yeah. one certain journalist that was that kept asking the question. Mm. And yeah, so that was that was the thing. Like, why are we not talking about tennis? Is, is it because tennis is just losing its appeal? Is, is there something about it that makes a difference in that way? And Varshi can try to answer that one as well. It's kind of for both of, for all three of us, I would say. Well, I, I think there needs to be a balance, Andy. I think... It's important if you're covering sports as a journalist that, you know, you, you do see the athletes as more than just, um, you know, competitors on a field of play or in, in tennis's case on a court, you know, because it is bigger than that. We saw with Osaka and the messages that, that she was sending over the last three weeks, we've seen that, you know, tennis and sports, it's always been bigger than wins and losses. So that part is important. It's just, you know, getting to the other part too as well. And You know, maybe it's just that maybe they, they just don't have the the technical expertise. I think, you know, it, especially, um, look, I mean, these people specialize in journalism, right? If you, if you get a commentator on television, a color commentator, they specialize in tennis. They were either a coach like a Paul Anacone or, uh, and now m many of them played as well. So I don't want to say that they're not players, but most of them play uh, are either high profile players or high profile coaches but when it comes to print journalism i think many of them weren't now there there are people like uh, Joel Drucker who i know has been playing tennis his entire life a ton and that comes out in in his work like he really understands the game but but not all journalists uh, are there right so i think it's also about knowledge not just about intent and what they want to do but actually what they can do yeah and another thing uh, another thing i'll just add is that a lot of the journalists that you see in the press room you know usually they'll say so and so from the guardian or from the new york times or from you know big publications that look to sell tennis in in the form of social and political issues and so that's why you often hear times that you know they'll ask a player about uh about xxx or something going on uh, in the u.s or something going on that's maybe not totally relevant to the game or the result and it can be tough sometimes for players especially like for instance Azarenka coming from a small country like Belarus where um, certainly actually they're going through some political turmoil and uh, th and problems of their own but then you're asking her about you know maybe maybe something that while we because we're we all live in North America and we probably re resonate more with you know Black Lives Matter and with what with the messages that Osaka is, is sending it may not just resonate internationally to all of the players and that's something to I guess keep in mind um, because I don't know would Osaka have had the same influence if let's say mm -hmm. the French Open was going on right now and you know would she really have the thought of okay now I'm gonna make I'm gonna get seven masks made with these names on them and you know gonna try and show this message for the better of the sport I don't think so mm -hmm. so That's a good point, and I don't think the tournament would have can would have been canceled uh, if it weren't an American tournament. Uh, right. I don't think that a I don't think that a French tournament would have felt it appropriate, honestly, uh, to cancel. But I was very glad that the USTA, being an American organization, was yeah. in line with the NBA and the MLB, and later on the NHL was in step with with all those organizations that had the sense to just. Take a quick pause in solidarity. Yeah. It's honestly like um, 
almost fortunate because you said like uh, if you weren't an american uh institution like an american sport uh american tournament you you, you name it it probably wouldn't have happened in that way but it i feel like it's pretty fortunate that he was in america that we were having tournaments right now because suppose that um instead of that we were having a uh, clay court season in in europe i feel like a lot of people would be pressuring them to stop even in europe And that wouldn't make sense. They would have to try to go around like a lot of cultural issues in the sense of like, hey, listen, like, I mean, it's not that we don't have those problems, but you're facing a different um, issue in your own uh, microcosms, if you put it that way, in North America, which is different from Europe, which is different from uh, Africa, even from Australia and you name it. So I'm happy that it happened in, in, in America. So we wouldn't have to have this sort of uh, weird tension between continents <laughs> because of a sport, I guess. Uh, and Let, let Rome have its own its own problems uh, with the clay course that they're having right now. So, but it, I'm happy that uh, the the social issues are not one of them currently happening. Of course, there's COVID and things like that, but that becomes a completely, obviously, a more global issue since it's a global pandemic. Um, but it's one thing in, in the tactical um, tactical versus uh, person um, thing. You're not treating you're not treating your player as a uh, video game character, which you can say, like, for example, why character X is better than character Y in sad game. Uh, they're, they're people. They have their lives outside of the court and they will keep having their lives afterwards. Um, but uh, it's how, I guess, um, how do we use, like, tactics, like, for example, to... How can we talk about tactics in, a, in an interview that doesn't become too revealing for the players they don't want to say like oh yeah i'm doing this this tournament but it's also not too vague uh it, it how can we sure. approach this uh this yeah yeah you know i don't i don't have really an, a 100 you know confident answer about what players are willing to reveal because i really i haven't seen it tested that much however um i think that I think that timing matters. I think we've seen that in like the pre-match interviews where they certainly don't want to say anything before the match. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that we could all agree on. That is But, right. Not something I'm on. I was on board with actually. Um, because yeah. you could, you could just tell, I mean, going into that U.S. open final when they're interviewing Zverev and then followed by a team, it's like, you know, I'm just going to go and, and play the match and make the better player. Like, and that, that was all. They don't want to yeah. do it. They don't want to. Oh, yeah. Do it. Yeah. But, you know, I love Azarenka's answer. Just like I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, Azarenka didn't didn't want, really feel like hiding it. She's just like, look, no, I'm not. I have nothing to say. Goodbye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I really think that they're that they're willing to talk. I really do. I think sometimes uh, sometimes they'll try to keep things a secret. Like one thing in particular, I remember uh, Roger Federer figured out. Um, at, Every time that Roddick was going to hit a kick serve yeah. out wide, I forget exactly what it was. Vonch, do you, do you remember? Roddick or Federer think, figured out. Yeah, I think what it was is I remember him saying this on Tennis Channel when he had his little stints yes. two months. And he was saying that um, at the end of – when they last played in Miami in 2012, before just before Roddick retired, that before uh, before every second serve, Roger would kind of lean and guard the, the, guard the doubles alley. Because he knew that kick serve was coming, so yeah. he could set up and and you know just open, just start off right away with the forehand, and then just dictate play from there. But I think uh, he Roddick figured that out at the very end, and 
yeah. you know, Roger kind of gave him a little wink and said, yeah. For something like that, like if, if a player finds out uh, like uh, that a server is tipping their pitches, so to speak, yeah. they're never going to say anything about that because that's mm. that, that's really – that's classified information in terms of tennis tactics. But if you're going to ask Dominic team, why are you – why were you slicing all the time? everyone knows he was he was slicing every ball there's no secrets sure. there so i'd be willing to bet that he yeah. that he would probably say something like it, it was actually a confidence problem that i didn't feel good on my topspin backhand and i didn't want to miss i wanted to keep the ball on the court or he would say it was a physical problem and my my right quadricept was cramping and i felt that the slice put less pressure on it uh, i think that if if someone asked him that just as an example that that we'd get an answer that's just my gut yeah. Yeah. No. I think. The, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No. I. I. I think I just wanted to move into a, into a more. This is kind of a more, more of a broader topic. But I guess now you know with. Can, can I just say one other thing about the tactics before yeah. we move on? It's, it's going to be real quick. There is. Uh, I just remember as well that like a lot of players when they're being asked a lot of questions, they go into, why, not necessarily about the match they they just played. They sometimes they well I guess often often they they will be asking the journalists like why are we not talking about tennis let's talk about the tennis so that's like a pretty good indication I would say that they want to talk even if like some some overall tactics not like some very specific points about strategy about a player A or B but like some general tactics and like how are they adjusting and things like that I think they're really open so it's it's definitely like the the opportunity is there to take in terms of asking um, tactical questions that are not even like that deep, that um, specific, that like non-diehard fans wouldn't understand. You know, like I feel like saying that, yeah, like I was I was licing the backhand because I wasn't confident on my topspin. It's it doesn't take too many brains to um, to understand like what you're talking about in that point. So yeah, that was my last thing, little thing about that one. But go ahead, yeah. what do you I mean, wanted to ask? That's a valid point, and I think if we're trying to reach a more wider audience, or or even if we're trying to reach, I guess us diehards on Twitter, since um you know we can either there's you know obviously there's a lot of ways to grow the game. One is to expand the you know the viewers the viewing experience by reaching to people who you know maybe just only tune in for Grand Slam finals, let's say, mm-hmm. or they just watch whenever tennis is on ESPN. Maybe something that could help tennis grow is. I mean, I, I guess we do see it now because of social media and we see players tweeting and, you know, a lot of times there's players like Riley Opelka or Nick Kyrgios or, you know, Yastrzemska or other people who will speak their mind on Twitter. But when it comes to actually, you know, speaking their mind about another opponent or about somebody else, we have gone in the direction of where we're a little bit too, where we're, you know, we're going to say what everybody wants to hear rather than, you know, maybe what is really deep down in the back of their mind. And we see that a lot, you know, even with the big three, even though they're so they're so different and similar in a lot of ways, we see that with the rivalries, you know. We see Federer and Nadal, they're buddies, they're friends, they're, you know, they say good things about each other and they're, and, you know, there's, there's obviously an edge and feistiness to that rivalry on the court. But, you know, off the court, there's just this warmth that they have and mm-hmm. it's become heightened on social media with all this Fedal talk and all this... And all of that stuff, and you know, I think it's almost like it's almost like the the contrast of styles and uh, has to clash with contrast of personalities as well. And so I think you know, rivalries like a healthy rivalry, even like a Federer versus Djokovic, for instance, you know, where there's respect, 
but there's that stick that both of the both of the guys kind of have, and so that. But they're not upfront about that. They don't. Yeah. They don't really reveal that publicly. Now, I think we all correctly assume that there has been a little bit of friction at times uh, mm-hmm. between them two. But but I'm I'm glad you said that, Vanch. I think you're spot on. Um, I think when when there's when there's a little bit of heat, which we tend to be afraid of in tennis, it really yeah. resonates with people. I mean, we are. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. excited do we get when when Tsitsipas plays Medvedev? That fight at Indian Wells was was yes, how many please. years ago? Was that 2016? Yeah, it, was a, it was in Miami 2018 where they had that little... Okay. Mm. I, I knew there were babies. I thought they were even younger, but um yeah. I think 16 they were really they were young, really especially Tsitsipas. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um they have that fight you know in in 2018 before really I mean they're they're not yeah. nearly the names that they are now. Yeah. Yet people exactly. remember that because look that that is at the at the essence one-on-one tennis is one-on-one combat and I think that fans really really do like that that mm-hmm. sense of rivalry, right? And that's not a hot take at all. It's yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's it's pro- probably part, partly one of the reasons why um, the Williams sisters are so known and liked. Because they they really show a lot of emotion, especially Serena. Sometimes a little too much, but like that that kind of like becomes a problem within the the overall tennis context. Like for example, some of the things that she does would not be a problem in hockey. For example, is just like complaining to 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 um, to an umpire, to a referee. It, it's just tennis. Like it's just because of the tradition that he carries. But it, people do like this. Like take a McEnroe, for example, way back when, like. One of the most famous tennis clips of all time is like he, it's like the one he goes like, "Are you serious? Are you, you cannot, cannot be, be serious?" serious. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just something that is gonna remain in history forever. It is, I mean, it's 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 fun just to watch that. Like it's sad. It's sad. Like when you're in the match, it's kind of like, "Oh, come on, just play tennis." Um, and I think partially one of the reasons why I'd say why we kind of like want things to go, and we have, for example, the shot clock and. That's like going a little bit into another topic that we might want to. If you guys, if once you have another thing to say, but I want to ask about like the the scoring system as well, which is kind of like getting heated on Twitter <laughs> on certain parts of it. Um, lots of people don't think it's heated at all, but like the best of five format and things like that. Is it too long? Is it is it too much? And um, I don't know. Maybe Vansh still want to talk about um, players' personalities still a little bit. Well, uh, and by the way, speaking of uh, speaking of Djokovic Federer, uh, probably one of the biggest reasons they have attention is because of Djokovic's father, sadly. But yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> my one yeah. thing about it. Let's not get into that. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. yeah, I think you might <laughs> be right. It, it, it's it's a valid point, part of it. Well, okay. Well, well yeah. let's we'll get to best of three, best of five. Uh, but but let's let's just finish the personalities. I want to adjust one thing you said, Andy. You said that it's important that players are liked, right? Or that, mm. or that, that's the Williams sisters are liked. I think it's about. It's not that they're liked. It's about people care. Dislike is good too. Mm. Dislike is great, yeah. right? Medvedev at the mm. U.S. Open when everyone was booing him because he flipped off the crowd. Yeah, that was great. Need a villain. Yes, villains how are the, great. How about the on-court interview he gave after that match? Was it? <laughs> that was it. Was awesome. incredible. That was. Yeah. It was one of the more electric, star-building moments that I can remember in, in recent times. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I think if, uh, 
you know, if players really want to maximize the money that they can make for themselves, they should take a good look at, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say this because Nick, Nick Kyrgios has, you know, has on, on-court conduct and behavior that really has no place in the game. And, you know, you could really do without it. But some of the other things he does on, on social media and the fact that he's willing to speak his mind, that's harming nobody. That's not abusing an umpire. The fact that he'll go on Ben Rothenberg's podcast and kind of trash talk Djokovic, that's okay. And I think that's mm-hmm. the part of Nick Kyrgios that other players on tour can, can look at. And if they're comfortable doing it, if they want to maximize their self-worth, if they want people to care about them, they can go mm-hmm. ahead. And I don't want them to be phony. I want them to be themselves. But I would like them to, to remove the filter. So to speak. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that can yeah. work for someone ranked, you know, fifty to a hundred. That you know, maybe that a lot of people don't know much about, you know, because in a, in in other sports, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's I don't know how you feel about this, but it's really an achievement to be a top hundred player in any other sport. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, certainly they get rewarded with a certain kind of um, salary, if you if you may like, or or you know, benefits. That you know, the, the, the there's just a gap in tennis where you know the top players just they get yeah, but, more limelight and more of the star power, and that's just how it is because it's a star-driven sport, and the attention is always going to be on you know. You do have to be able to back it up with some talent, though, and and Nick Nick does do that. Nick can do that. I mean, he is two and zero against Djokovic, who he trashed off, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I mean, it's it's absurd. Obviously, Novak's a, a way better player and. A million different ways, but he is two and zero. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I do. I agree with you. I know. I see what you're saying, but I also think that, uh, you know, if if uh, I don't want to pick, I, I hate picking a random player to pick on, so I won't. But if world number eighty five just started trash talking, and uh, I don't really yeah. think he would get a lot of people's attention. Yeah, I guess if you if you want to do that, like you you have to be. Relevant. I don't think it can just yeah you have to be relevant before you you trash talk you know what I mean like Kyrgios was already someone before he kind of like blew out trash talk Absolutely. He, he was always he was he was not always uh trash talking but he was always the the bad guy so he that's like something that he played to his favor He's, he didn't just come out of nowhere trash talking people he was always coming through and like so if if players are able to do that and and come in and like trying to if you know if if they're if they're authentic and genuine they're like hey look this is how i feel this is i'm the bad guy and i'll own it like that's fine if they want to be the good guy too like uh, i i remember very clearly the um one of the best interviews i've i've ever listened to was the the tennis podcast with uh, Yannick Noah um that David Law did um a few months back i think he Yannick Noah was saying like hey i was the good guy like this was this was the role that i was playing because this is me this, i like to see people laugh I'm an entertainer, and like, and he was like, McEnroe was the bad guy because he likes to to throw people off and to cause turmoil in a, in a court. So like, I feel like being the good guy is also not something that you should avoid. And uh, it's not, it's not, it doesn't because you're a good guy doesn't mean that you're not genuine or not authentic to yourself. Um, so long as you just be yourself, I guess it's the most important part yeah. of it. Good guys and are great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you have to do it within the context of tennis too. Like you said it very well. At some things like he does some stuff on in tennis on the tennis court that do not belong on a tennis court. 
But you can't. You can be both. You can be a good guy and a bad guy in the tennis court, and you know you can do it within the the sports boundaries that are you know traditional to it. I guess. Well said. I agree. Mm. Yeah. So, so you want to go? You want to go on to the uh, the format question? Yeah. Let's or... let's do it. Like uh, because. <sighs> I mean, it's because ever since it kind of blew up in a sense, like I saw a lot of uh, tennis Twitter people, especially Ben Rothenberg, really wanting the best of five to go to hell pretty much. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to beat myself on that one. But like, um, I've been thinking, is is he right on some on some grounds? Is he right on some levels? Like, is it definitely because before I was just like, oh, that's totally unfair. He's. He just wants to make a case because he he's so much so much of a big fan of like the women's tennis. He just wants to make a case that like it's better in that aspect. But then I was like, I started to think, well, maybe maybe he's got some grounds of uh, of truth in it. One, it's it's a it's a good question to to have and a good topic to talk about. What do you guys think about it? Is it is it dead and done for you guys, or you guys like to think about it too? So actually, you know, I mean, I was not on the same page as Ben Rothenberg before this uh, hiatus uh, happened and because I was looking through tennis history and I was just, we were just reliving all these exciting matches from the eighties and nineties and, you know, and, and you just, you just felt like it, man, if, if those were best of three set matches, those would not have nearly one tenth of the drama and the, and the, the excitement and the, the reach beyond tennis that the, that some of those matches do like the Federer Nadal 2008 final or the McEnroe Borg finals at, mm-hmm. at Wimbledon that have an everlasting effect on tennis history, you know, would they still have that same impact, you know, if they were best of three set, uh, if they were best of three set finals. And then I started looking at it from, from different angles that actually, you know, before we used to have, you know, up until 2007, um, you know, masters finals were best of five set matches and the year end finals, the championships, uh, the world tour finals at the end of the year, masters were usually always best of five sets in the final. And even the women, played best of five sets for a span of 14 years. If you look at uh, tennis history from 1984 to 1998, so 15 years, they were all playing best of five set uh, f- matches only in the finals. So, and then, and then this U.S. Open happened, and we had all these weird momentum shifts where, you know, one player would win two sets, and then another player would win two sets, and it's like, okay. And then, you know, and you saw, like, for instance, Krenia Busta and Shapovalov. Krenia Busta, uh, a guy who gives nothing... Uh, and you have to earn every single point against, you know, from basically love three down in the fourth set, he said, you know, I'm conserving my energy. I'm going for the fifth, much to the detriment of Shapovalov. But at that, at that point you're thinking, uh, I mean, and you see Ben Rothenberg tweet, like, you know, is this, is this going to, is this worth it going best of five sets? And, you know, the, and he does have a point and some people are backing him up on that. So I'm just I'm I'm a little bit torn but I think a solution that is viable one that is a viable one for me um would be like if we have a grand slam and let's say the make the margins a little bit smaller in the first week. So maybe up until the quarterfinals we have a best of 3 set format and then maybe we conclude it with the drama and the excitement that all the fans want with a best of 5 set from the quarterfinals and on and you know that's just a, a proposed solution but it's yeah, I'm curious. What do you think? Sure. My my biggest concern is that there hasn't been any real data or any actual solid evidence to support that best of five would, would grow the game. And, for example, Patrick Maradoglu tried 
to present yeah. statistical evidence, but it was total, honestly, BS. What I mean, yeah. the the stat that he was that he was citing is a sixty-one year old average tennis fan. Yeah, the stat that he was citing was from Nielsen ratings. It was men's, not women's. Um, every sport in that study got older. Tennis was women's tennis was one of the only sports that got younger uh, over the ten years. And uh, tennis will always be a sport with a bit of an older audience because uh, it's a country club sport that you can that you can play into your old age. So I I do think that it's used that way no matter what. There's and then there's no solid evidence that the length has anything to do with that. My gut is that anyone who's willing to watch one set of tennis is willing to watch five. Anyone who is not willing to watch one set of tennis is not willing to watch any sets of tennis. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll take my, my girlfriend, for example. She tells me tennis is too long all the time. Guess what? She won't sit still for, for six games. So she can say it's too long, but she's not watching if it's best of three either. And I think yeah. that that is, uh, is the case in, with most people. So um, this may have seemed like a very rough transition from personality to best of five in score assistance. But here's the thing, too. Like, the matches that you've, especially Vansh, like uh, you've mentioned, they are between who? They're between Federer and Adal, Bjorn Borg and, and John McEnroe. These are stars from tennis. So, so like, you're not going to get, like, for example, yeah. I don't even know, like Taylor, Taylor Fritz versus uh, whatever... The number two hundred. If it goes to five sets, and no, no disrespect to Liz Fritz, he actually played a really good match against Shapovalov, and it was a best of five. But um, it's. I feel like that the part of the personality also affects a lot of like how you watch it, like because you can play matches that look really good on paper, and then you actually go on to watch like mm, that was actually not as good as I, as I expected it to be. Um, for example, uh, I would say lots of challengers like they look very competitive, and they are. But they are also sprinkled with like some unforced errors and tentative uh, play and hesitant things. So like it's not necessarily the clutchness that we see like in the later stages of a Grand Slam or a Masters 1000 or a Premier Mandatory for that matter. Um, but um, so I think the personality also plays a lot of uh, on, on like how who who are we watching in in, in that regard too because. Um, it's not just how long it is. And I feel like you really hit the nail on the head there. Like if you, if you're willing to sit down for, for, you know, for a set of tennis, you're probably willing to sit down for like three or even five. If you're not willing to sit down for like two games and that's it, you're not, you're not going to win this, this person over. Like it, it doesn't matter if you do three quarters of 10, well, actually three, four quarters of 10, 10 minutes, like Muratoglu tried. Uh, which was really bizarre style. I like that he did it though. Like I like that he tried. <laughs> We're gonna have that in the records. Yeah. But um, but yeah, if if you just don't like tennis, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you try to do. You're not gonna make this sport more interesting unless you change it. And if you change it, it's not tennis anymore. So what's the point? So, um, but yeah, like I feel like um things like for example on um, the the U.S. Open final that we just had, team would not be the winner. Zverev probably would have been the winner or. Team would have been the winner because maybe the the Zverev breakdown would have happened earlier. Um, and another comeback, the one that comes to my mind, comes to my mind, the, the biggest one is, um, um, well, obviously there's the Reg, Roger Federer Rafa Nadal 2008 final, but the the Andy Murray first round that he played, that that story would not have happened, I think, because Andy Murray would not have been able to come back from two sets to love down. 
so you you miss a few things like like those in, in the best of five um format if you try to bring it down to to a best of three but i think that drama in and itself cannot be really a very strong argument because there's there's a lot of drama that can happen in a best of three as well and my one concern as in uh, a person that you know i have a nine to five job like i commute like i don't commute like i drive uh, i am an hour away from my my workplace so i haven't been able to watch rome at all it's a best of three by the way but like I can't really sit down, for example, to watch a a final like in, in, or like matches like this in a best of five. Like I just can't. It's too much for me. Like sometimes on Saturdays I have things to do. On Sundays I have things to do. Sometimes and it, maybe the length of the match um, plays into a, a little bit of that. Yeah. And though, but like just to finish, uh, kind of like my my own counterpoint is that. Um, and maybe a question too as well for you guys. Is tennis the type of start of sports of sport that you can plug in, put it on TV and do something else? Because there's a, a sport that takes a very long time and it's cricket. And this is what people do. They just put cricket on the TV and they just go about their daily lives because that's <laughs> that's the only way to watch cricket. Because that thing lasts for five days. <laughs> I think golf is similar. I think uh, people will... On, especially on a Saturday and on a Sunday, uh, golf is generally Thursday through Sunday. They'll do the same thing. I, I think tennis is, is like that. Um, and you know, the, the difference between tennis and let's say football, you know, people forget college football is four hours. Nobody says that that needs to be shorter. I, I think college football is way too long personally, but, uh, <laughs> tennis can be shorter than that. It can be longer than that. But tennis is always happening. It's totally continuous. College football has, you know, a halftime. So they, yeah. you know, you literally take a break. Uh, so I think there's nothing that stops you from – think about the live experience when you go to a tournament. You don't need to watch every set. You can get up. Uh, you can watch the first set, come back in the fourth set. So I think tennis is conducive to, to that kind of viewing. Hmm. Yeah, in fact, we, we see that in the first week of a slam when there's, you know, 128 players playing and they're all – playing their first round match on the same day and you're like having to switch between screens and see oh i gotta catch a little bit of this action and a little bit of this men's match and it's like you have fomo almost yeah this week of a major absolutely so i mean i'm i mean what do you guys think about the solution of maybe keeping best of five and a best of three a combined version in the slams um okay. yeah sorry about that smash sure can you ask the question yeah. again, Vansh? Just yeah, for... I was just going to say, um, how do you guys feel about maybe in, in the future if a change were to come out that we have um, like the first week of a major be a best of three and then quarterfinals and non be a best of five? Something about that I, I'm not into. I just don't like the tournament changing uh, midway. However, I will share another idea. So now Andy will have both ideas and, and he'll get to decide. <laughs> mm. Um, let's see <laughs> this this really came to me it came to me recently as as this was going on on twitter and people were debating this if anything if there's any solution i like it's you cannot lose the first two sets so the match is over if you go down two sets to love you need to win if you lose the first set you got to win the second or the match is over so then um you, for the you'll almost get for the whole tournament um so then you'll almost get what would be a mercy rule. 
you know, it would say, look, you cannot go down by that much or you lose the match. I, I don't hate that. I'm not, I'm not for it. I wouldn't suggest it, but I, I also don't hate it. <laughs> uh, that, that actually, I think that is interesting because it's almost best of both worlds. Like it's, it's best of three inside of a best of five. It's kind of like, right. it's like, oh crap, I'm already a set down. Like this, this set is, is my only chance of staying. And then you win it. And all of a sudden it's like, now we're back at, <laughs> now we are back into a best of five match. It's, it's, it's almost tense for like even fans to, to watch. Like, is this match going to take like an hour and a half? Or five. It would be quite tough to <laughs> it, plan out. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's such an interesting idea. It, it, you know what? I feel like a, a great place for this to happen would be um, changing the next-gen thing that they do. Which is... I actually... I, I'm, I'm really fond of that format. Like, for um, the... You have to go to four games first. Um, the no-add, I'm iffy about. I don't like no-add rule. I think it's awkward. But... Uh, too many tie breaks. Have to. That's what I don't like about fast four. Too many tie breaks. Tie breaks. Yeah. 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 That's true. The one, the, this format is only a great format for me on video games. I love playing that format in games because you, you play a quick match on your game. You feel like you play like a solid best of five. It took you only like half an hour. That was it. Right. Like, um, and yeah. so that is really good. I don't know necessarily. So I feel like for the next gen, if you, if you try this format, you could keep it like really short um, but maybe they wouldn't, they would obviously not very much be down to it because they would not have rates on TV at all, uh, like that. And if they, there would, if that was a place for them to try to be like maybe in the finals of that tournament, I think it'd be very, very interesting since it's basically just an exhibition tournament. Yeah. So what do you think, Vansh, about, about, about this format? Like, what's your opinion on that one? On the fast four format? No, the, um, two sets, two sets to love down your, down and out. I really like the sudden death kind of aspect of it where, you know, if you're almost in a desperate spot, if you lose that first set, I think, you know, I mean, I don't dislike it and I don't, I, I'm somewhere in the middle on that one. I think it, I think I'd need to see it play out or trialed out to see, to be a, to give you a definitive on it. But I think it's certainly mm. a viable option for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing is, I guess at the slams now, um, they have different rules when it goes to the fifth set now. Because at the Australian Open, they have the 10-point tiebreak at 6-all in the fifth. And then the French Open uh, has still won by two games. And then Wimbledon, I mean, thank God they have a tiebreaker, but you're still having <laughs> to play another set. At, yeah. Still having to play another yeah. sixth set, basically, because the tiebreak is at 12-all. And then we saw our first ever US Open final go to a fifth set tiebreak just now. I mean, four different slams, four different formats. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's true. I think Roland Garros only haven't done anything about it because Nadal was going to win anyway, so they never <laughs> were faced with that problem. So, <laughs> Well, th there are more breaks of serve on yeah. the clay, so it's a little bit less likely that you're going to have a real marathon. Mm. For sure. Uh, now, I, I do think that they need to figure it out. I mean, they need to get together. And, uh, you know, my <laughs> it's funny. If, if you were to let me decide... I almost feel like I'd I'd probably give it like a ten all tiebreak to seven, yeah. um, which of course uh, none of them have. So I mean, I mean I like but, the super tiebreak in in Australia, don't you? The ten point. I don't know that I like super tiebreaks. 
I, I'm not. It's like, why are we changing the t- a tie break? I don't I don't see why we need to make the tie break extra long just because it's in the final set. But you know, th- I gotta say, honestly, this is not an issue that I I think um, uh, not that it's not fun to talk about, but it doesn't mm. get my you know my blood flowing. You know, I'm kind of okay. However, it goes. I, I think that huh. yeah, I don't think that there's really a major problem there. I think however you decide to decide the match. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty much okay with it. Yeah, unless with it. unless you're at Wimbledon and there's no tie break. I think that that we saw is not a good idea in 20. 20- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean so, if you're at 7-all uh, yeah. in a fifth set or 8-all in a fifth set, you could argue you've had plenty of chances to have won the match multiple yes. multiple occasions. Yeah. So either way it ends, it's So uh I'm I'm curious cuz you just mentioned like oh yeah, the the score system and things like that don't make your 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 doesn't doesn't make you very interested. I'm almost like neutral about it. Mm-hmm. So if I if I were to ask you like what makes tennis interesting for you to watch, and I know this the answer is probably going to change for every fan they ask, but like if you if you say what's the the essence in tennis that cannot change, otherwise we lose tennis. Like is there like the one thing uh, or maybe a set of things? So you, you, you guys that, have had yeah. Alex Gruskin on right on the podcast. Yeah, we've had him on. Yeah, yeah. So I said, I said, uh, purity of the sport uh, when I when I was talking to him once, and he got really upset with me, and he's like, "What is purity of the sport? That is crazy." <laughs> uh, in terms of the format of the tennis of, of tennis, um, here are the things that I think can't change. Uh, one, it's got to be win by two. Everything needs to be win by two. Um, Ah, you know, I I have more, and I'm I'm not thinking of the other ones. Um, <laughs> Got to play with a racket in your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I I had two more, and I totally forget. But I I think what really draws me to tennis is the one on one, the gladiatorial aspect of it. Um, oh oh, there's no clock. That's another one. So you got to oh, win yeah. by two. You cannot run down the clock, which means Murata Glue yeah. at UTS. Uh, actually took away one of the main pillars of tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the third one will, will come to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I, I think the the idea that it's kind of, uh, you know, one-on-one, I think that drew me to playing the sport in the first place. Um, and ultimately, the, the idea that someone, you know, you're out there by yourself, you got to solve the problem, It is, you know, will against will, weapon against weapon, weakness against weakness. I think more than anything, that's what what really fascinates me about tennis. Uh, Now, by the way, doubles, it's a team sport, and I I do love doubles as well. I'll just throw that out there. But I I think Mm -hmm. the essence of it is is that that one-on-one. Yeah, I also love that it's like a a non-combat kind of classy version of boxing, if you you like. Sure. And, And, you know, I just love the the different um, problems that you have to solve mid-match and make those, make those adjustments without anyone to rely on, really, other than, your, other than yourself and sheer will and heart. And I, I, I love the, div- the diversity and global nature of the game and how we could see, like, you know, a five-foot-six Diego Schwartzman, a completely different heavyweight to somebody like a Daniil Medvedev, you know? Six yes, the six, different styles, and, right. And, Six foot yeah. six and different body structure and 
different countries and ethnicity and clash of personality kind of just play out all into one big beautiful game that we all love and we see how it's continuous and it goes on for 47 weeks out of 52 weeks in the year mm-hmm. so it's always something to look forward to right as soon as the tournament ends and you're just you're just never left with a moment to fully I, I think that's another thing too is I, I feel like tennis fans have a short memory when it comes <laughs> to when it comes to maybe past results or you know it's just that we have a lot of recency bias and mm-hmm. that's just that's credit to the sport that just keeps on giving you know right mm. so Vash, uh before i say what i think is is great for tennis uh for me what makes you psyched to watch uh, one single match, not necessarily the entire year, but like what makes a match of tennis interesting for you to watch? Because I could just follow the, the scores and like the, the records without sure. watching a single tennis match for an entire year. I think it I think it really is the contrast of styles for me. I think when you have two players that play the game completely different, that see the game in a totally different light, and they kind of complement each other each other's games. Mm-hmm. Yet we see subtle differences in their, albeit movement or strokes or style. I think that's what really drew me is the, you know, almost like an artistic geometrical um, spatial sense that players need to have on the court to win points at such a high level now when, you know, players are hitting the ball extremely hard. Everyone has a good forehand and backhand and serve pretty much in the top 50. And so it's these little ingredients and missing pieces in your games that you have to develop right when you're a next-gen player all the way to when you hit your prime whenever that is and Mm. just seeing the players evolve and go through that evolution and you know in in one particular match throughout the course of and and then put that one particular mass match into context with the rest of their career that's what i find really exciting and that's mm-hmm. why I can focus really on that match because I know the historical importance of it and I know what it means for both the players. Mm. And so I think that's what yeah. really draws me. You get drawn into them almost like they're your family. And that's huh. and that's a very deep connection to the sport that takes years to develop, but it's it's almost something you can't point your finger on. It's just it's a palpable feeling that you have. Mm. Spoken like a true fan. <laughs> so, uh, what I here's the thing for me, um, and I'm not sure if that ta- uh, taps into your purity of the sport, which I don't disagree with. I think that there exists for literally every single sport. For example, you can have swimming if you don't have a pool. So there is something there, you know. Um, yeah, you need the purity of the it, water to have the purity. Of the yeah, swimming. exactly. <laughs> so, his for me, I started playing tennis before I started watching it. So, yeah, um, something. For me, uh, there's two things essentially for me about tennis. Is like one is the feeling of just hitting a, a ball like with a racket. Like for me, there's an, I love it. I love it so. Even when I miss, like I just love hitting balls. It's just kind of it's it's just so good. Especially when you when you make it. That's when that's when it's special. That that's when you have a connection with uh, you and the court and uh, the other player. That's when you you know like for me like it. I feel great. My shots are going in. I, I'm adding a lot of spin. The physics of tennis really interests me a lot on like how we can actually see the ball like curving in the air, almost like ping pong. Um, not as extreme as ping pong, yeah. obviously, but like 
it, you can see the ball clearly. Like, for example, if you're watching Nadal up close um, in a practice court or in a, on a match, and he's, like, hammering those crazy spin forehands, you can literally see it going down. It's kind of, like, it's almost defying, like, physics defying. Obviously, it isn't, but, like, um, it's unbelievable to watch that. Um, and uh, when I see professional players, I, I remember when I started playing, the one way that I could describe it is kind of like they, they're doing, they're not just playing tennis, they're doing magic. This is, <laughs> this is the only reason that to explain how well they can play this sport because it's so hard. And like, I, I guess like my appreciative, appreciation for uh, watching pro tennis is um, really understanding just how unbelievably hard it is to achieve those things that they're doing to play for hours and keep the level of consistency to hit like less than three double faults in the match that lasts for two hours. For me, it's impossible. Uh, but, um, and probably for Zverev too, but that's another story. Um, so, and the second thing, and I don't know if it's going to awake your, your third pillar of tennis, but like for me, it's the, the, the fact that like, it's not about the, how many points you win in tennis is how, how about what points you win it. In a, in, a, in a match so like if you can you can be winning all of your service games 40 love um to love really and ke- uh, getting the other guy to deuce and losing in a tiebreaker so who played better oh i remember the third the, pillar now yeah yeah it doesn't matter who plays better it, it matters who plays the better point in that important moment and to be able to uh, mount a comeback i think it's so unique to tennis in that in that regard yeah, go ahead. So what's your well, third pillar all, now? First of all, Andy, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that was very well said. And I agree that uh, that that's that's definitely anyone who plays the off factor is very important. And it, it's accentuated when you're watching it live. Uh, but it's, hmm. it's always it's very important to remind yourself that like these guys, you know, these players, men and women are playing at an alien level. That is important to, to yeah. always recognize. It's fun to remind yourself of that. And just especially after you go out on court and try to play yourself and then you watch after that. It's uh, anyway, the third mm. the third pillar is you don't get any help from anyone else. Yeah. So I, <laughs> to me, coaching literally uh, kills one of the pillars. Destroys tennis. Destroys yeah. <laughs> one of the pillars of tennis. Um, even though there's a lot of I'll use a Brad Gilbert term, there's a lot of third base coaching. So so yeah, yeah that that's it. You got to win by two. There's no clock and there's no help. Those are the three. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this now. Yeah. Uh, how big of a factor for you? I mean, as you can speak from a fan point of view as well as someone covering the game, how big of a factor is relatability in terms of, you know, tennis? Right. Uh, well, huge. Well, okay. So I, my guy was David Ferrer. You know, he was hmm. he was the player who I really turned on a match and I got emotional about and I got upset if he lost and I was happy if he won. Now, honestly, I don't think I might never get that again for any player because I, you know, I just have this happens and some people don't don't believe me. But when you're when you're actually trying to be objective, it's impossible to really develop that kind of emotional connection to a player. Um, You know, if you don't want it to happen, it doesn't happen. And I'm not I don't really seek that anymore anyway. But I did have that for David Ferrer and it was entirely because I related to him, Vonch. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a shorter player. My forehand looks just like him because that's how I decided I wanted to hit it. I have that same little short take back and I try to, you know, get, get my legs firing up and my hips rotating violently. And, um, 
you know, I, I wanted, I knew that if I wanted to be any good, I needed to fight as hard as David Ferrer, or at least try, uh, because <laughs> I knew that I was not as talented as uh, Roger Federer, which, by the way, I had a phase where I was trying to play like Roger Federer, and I was, you know, wearing, uh, wearing polos, for example, and I was going to the net a lot, and then I realized, like, I'm, I just don't have that. That's not me, and then I had a coach who said, yeah, that isn't you at all. This is how you're going to start to play, and this is how you're going to start to win. So, yeah, it was relatability, but it actually wasn't on a personal level. Like, I don't know how much myself and David Ferrer have in common on a personal level, but I identified with his tennis. For sure, and I think we could all identify with the, with the men's final in some way or another, especially with the nerves oh, yeah. and the human uh, emotion that they showed and at the end, and you just kind of felt for whoever was going to lose that match. I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think relatability is, is so much a part of the sport. And I, I said it before as well, like I, that the big three is being is becoming... They're spoiling us. Um, they're spoiling us with great tennis all the time, 100% of the time. It's, it's almost like they can they cannot make human errors, although they can, since we've seen so many times. There is a video on YouTube called Show You're a Human Federer, but it's written your, as in mine and yours. Uh, and it's 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 funny because it just misses a terrible shot, and it's it's part of that relatability. But like they they just don't they're a hundred percent alien aliens, yeah. When it comes to playing tennis, and I guess on on, on that note, like uh, this is this is about like as as much time I guess that we have for for this one particular episode, and it was it was great having you, Gil, and uh, amazing to. Talk tennis and essentially just kind of like go almost like on a personal level on the tennis like means to us. Yeah. So it was really great talk. <laughs> yeah, this was so, fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on, you guys. Thanks so much for agreeing to being here. Thanks so much, Vash, for being here. Also, especially because you're going to be here all the time and you're a co-host, so it's your obligation to be with me. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy right. to do that, Andre. Yeah, thank you so much, Gil. <laughs> yeah, it was great to hear all, hear all your insights and. Finally, we get to have you on on the show, and so it was great. So everyone should subscribe and like and follow uh, Monday Match Analysis and follow this podcast and rate and review mm -hmm. on iTunes. And uh, as Gil always says, don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, spoken like a true fan. <laughs> so, um, so Gil, what's your what's your Twitter handle again? Uh, it's at Gil Gross with a underscore. Great. So yeah, go two wells. Great. Uh, so yeah, go follow that and follow us. Follow Vansh at VanshV2K. Follow Tennis and Bagels at Tennis underscore Bagels, and um, do the same thing they did for him, except for the subscribing part, because um, the YouTube channel hasn't still taken off yet. Uh, still, lots of work on that one, but still, um, give us ratings on iTunes and have all your family do the same as well, because that would be great. <laughs> so thank you so much. You don't have to do the family thing unless you really are a fan. But uh, yeah, thanks so much, Gil, again. Thanks so much, Vanish, again. And I'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.